Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up. And your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. Welcome to Special Edition, a weekly look at the issues in the news and the personality shaping the stories. Welcome to Special Edition. I'm Paula Dagnan. This week, Odyssey's Nancy Kamen and Jason Barsky ask Pennsylvania Physician General Dr. Denise Johnson questions regarding the COVID-19 vaccine, especially now that it's available for those 12 to 15 years of age. We're wrapping up Armed Forces Week, the third Saturday in May, a day to thank current active duty military members for their service in support of our country. When active military leaves, they become veterans, and we have some folks who can help them along their way. We're going to be talking with the DAV about connecting veterans with meaningful employment, We'll also be hearing about the VA's Mental Health Month campaign, One Step Today, and focusing on women in the military and their mental health. We're going to start off, however, by introducing you to Jennifer Machiki. She is a veteran and her husband, Matthew. They own a store in Clark Summit. Part of their proceeds go to helping local veterans at Camp Freedom. Jennifer, welcome. Nice to have you here on Special Edition. And already I'm confused. You're Jennifer, but the designs are by Olivia Gray. Explain that to me. So we just came up with a business name besides using our own. And we came up with designs by Olivia Gray because Olivia is my favorite name. So if we ever have a little girl, her name will be Olivia. And then gray is my favorite color. So it's just just a spun on words there, nothing too crazy. You mentioned we, so I have to allow you this opportunity to introduce us to your partner. Yes, my partner is Matthew Michiki, and he's here with me today. He can say hello as well. All right. Hi, how are you? Hi, Matthew. How are you today? I'm doing excellent. Thank you. Why don't you give our listeners, Jen, an opportunity to kind of take a tour of designs by Olivia Gray. First of all, where are you located? We're located in Clark Summit, Pennsylvania on Deep Poach Street, right behind State Street Grill. Okay, well, we know where that is. So now when we walk in the front door, what do we see? We are first going to be greeted by either me or my husband and an 8 by 10 foot American flag. Uh, That flag is there to symbolize our connection with veterans and our dedication to help veterans. 
uh, veterans in our area. And you mentioned the fact that you are are helping veterans in the area. How are you going about that? Yeah, we're a veteran-owned business. I served in the Army myself for seven years, and we knew that when we started our business, we wanted to use it as a platform to help our local veterans as well. So we teamed up with Camp Freedom out of Carbondale, and portions of all our sales goes to their organizations to help out uh, veterans, first responders, and their families um, with any assistance they need through outdoor healing activities. So it's a great organization, and we love being a part of it. And how do you help them? For instance, we've walked in the front door of the store and there is a huge American flag. What else is in there? Designs by Olivia Gray, we're an all-natural soy candle company. Um, But also when we opened up our storefront, we knew so many small businesses were struggling during COVID. So we allow them to bring their products into our store as well, just to help everybody get them a leg up with these unprecedented times. So our store is full not only of our candles, but so many great local products. We have uh, coffee, bath and body care in our store, home decor, just there's some fresh flowers, anything that you could possibly need. Portions of all the sales uh, for designs by Olivia Gray, we do a dollar of every candle and 10% of every candle wedding favorite order goes straight to Camp Freedom. Thank you for your service. So you mentioned the fact that you also had an opportunity to have other local businesses. Have you had other local veterans businesses that have also come to you? Businesses that we currently have in our store, none of None of them are uh, local veterans, but they are donating portions of their sales to veterans as well. But none of them are veteran-owned yet. But we're always open to it. If you do own your own business and you're looking to get into a storefront, contact us. We would love to talk to you and meet you. That was the thing I liked about that was yet. (laughs) Because, again, so many times people hear things and they say, I didn't know about that. So here's hoping that we'll be able to, the next time we talk with you and you've expanded, we'll be able to talk about how all that came about. And when we are, when you are talking about designs by Olivia Gray and you mentioned the fact that they are soy candles, what made you decide to get into that kind of a business since it is so kind of specialized? It is really specialized. If you would have asked us years ago if we were ever making candles, our answer would probably have said no. But we started making candles as keepsakes and gifts uh, about in 2015, 2016. Um, And it just really, really took off. Uh, People were loving our product and we had a great product. And then we just took a chance and went from there and really built on this business. And we've loved every single day of it. We love constantly creating new scents and bringing new things to the area and just really educating people about candles. Uh, We even proudly offer wax and wine nights where we teach you the art of candle making and it's just a really fun night out with friends or family. So we've come a long way and we just absolutely love this process. How has wax and wine been able to be done or has it been able to be done during all of the the latest COVID uh, pandemic? Have you been actively doing that? Is it going to start up again? That has been the most difficult part about our business. We did have it closed down for about a year, year and a half. 
we did recently just start up the classes again, but um, we've only been keeping them private classes. So for a group of friends or family that's, you know, normally around each other, we keep the classes small. They're not open to just the general public the way that they used to be. Um, Because before we would just hold a class and then anybody could book it until the class fills. But we've just been a little bit more cautious of how we format the class. And so, yeah, we we do have them up and running again. And it's just for family or friends at this time. When we're talking about, again, going back to veterans and having the opportunity, have you had any feedback since you've been able to actually get out, publicize what you're doing, uh, maybe even make donations to veterans organizations, have you heard anything back from them? Well, we've been doing this um, since 2016. So uh, what we really have been noticing lately is just more awareness about our business um, versus before. So not only do we have our storefront, but we also sell online. Uh, We do subscription boxes and we travel to a bunch of different events and really just the awareness is growing now what we are trying to do for veterans and our partnership. The response has been overwhelmingly positive and I think it's just a really good thing that people are seeing and they're appreciative of it. So, Hey Matt. Hi, how are you? I'm wonderful. So let's talk about some of those guys coming into your shop. What do you tell them? You know what? We actually do have an overwhelming amount of uh, men that do come into the shop. And I actually think they feel a little bit more comfortable seeing another guy in the shop that they can talk to and ask questions about different products. I think that's wonderful as far as the uh, idea of tying in yours with veterans. Are you also having the opportunity to talk to, I know Jen is a veteran, but there seems to be more guys that are veterans. And do you have an opportunity to talk to them and say, well, hey, you need to come up and visit our shop and uh, see what else you can help us out with? So I do. I just being around different craft shows that we do in the fairs and festivals. Um, we do have a little logo on our stand that says where we donate to. And I do talk to them about our shop as well. And what would you tell them right now if they were listening? I would say, come on up to Designs by Olivia Gray. We do have our own masculine line of candles, and I think they would love them. They'd make a fantastic gift. You mentioned that you are uh, located in Clark Summit on Depot Street, but Mm -hmm. from what I'm understanding, again, you have a website, you have a Facebook page, and from what I'm seeing is now that things are starting to hopefully open up, we might be seeing you out in the community visiting various fairs, craft fairs, vendor fairs? Yeah, we do a lot of them. Um, we almost every weekend you can find us in one. Um, the 15th, we will actually be at a VFW doing a benefit in Durier. And then on the 16th, we'll be up in Forest City. If people are looking to find out more about you, as I mentioned, you do have your website, you do have the Facebook page. How else would they be able to contact you? Because, again, looking over all of the items that are available, it's that time of the season where people are starting to look for gifts and designs by Olivia Gray might be 
the best place to find them? We pride ourselves on being a local one-stop shop for absolutely everything you you need. If you want to reach out to us, we're at 206 Depot Street up in Clark Summit. You can always contact us at 570-704-7761 or our website, which is www.designsbyoliviagray. Gray is G-R-E-Y. Explain again your tie-in with veterans, because I think that in itself may be a very good reason that a lot of people might say, I think we need to go visit Jennifer at Designs by Olivia Gray because they're going to be able to help veterans buy our our purchases. Veterans is really at the heart of everything that we do. We're a veteran-owned business, and so our whole mission is to dedicate our time and give back to our local veterans as much as we can. And how much are you giving from each one of your sales? We donate a dollar of every single candle sold and then 10% of all our candle wedding favors to Camp Freedom. If anybody has any like that coming up. You get a big smile from the person that you've given your gift to, and you get a big smile from the veterans associations that you are going to be giving your gifts to. So it's a win-win no matter what way you look at it, Jennifer. It sure is, Paula. Next on Special Edition, two doctors with the VA discuss the mental health challenges women face in the military. Now on Special Edition, Dr. Jennifer Strauss and Dr. Laura Miller tell us about the unique mental health challenges women in the military have and about the VA's new campaign, One Step Today. This is uh, Dr. Jennifer Strauss. I would love to tell you more about this campaign. May is Mental Health Awareness Month, and in recognition of Mental Health Awareness Month, VA has launched the One Step Today campaign. The It is designed, uh, I think it would inspire anybody. It certainly inspired me. I've been looking at it quite a bit lately, but it is geared towards veterans in particular. And as the name would imply, it's designed to help inspire people to take one step and maybe another and another to improve their mental health and well-being. To share a little more about it, it's centered around a, or it's housed, I guess, within a, a website and the web address is maketheconnection.net. And on that website, there are a large number of, of very brief videos that are, are real veterans talking about their own experiences and, and what's helped them. It's a diverse array of veterans, different ages, men and women veterans, different eras of service, different different experiences. And the the hope is that hearing stories of other veterans who've been able to turn things around will inspire veterans who right now may be feeling stuck or, or just in a bad place, again, to literally take one step today to, to start making meaningful changes. That's Dr. Jennifer Strauss, the head of the Women's Mental Health Program for the VA. Now we'll introduce you to Dr. Laura Miller. She is the Medical Director of Reproductive Mental Health for the VA. And Dr. Miller, perhaps you can give us a little bit more insight as well into what Dr. Strauss was saying. But we're we're kind of concentrating here on female veterans. What's the difference? Great question, because in many respects, Women and men who serve in the military experience a lot of the same things and a lot of the same challenges. But women do also have uh, unique types of stressors, which lead them to have even more mental health issues later on when they become veterans. Uh, one of the key differences is that they experience a lot more sexual assault, sexual harassment, 
violence at the hands of an intimate partner, um, and even in everyday life, they might struggle more financially. They might have a lot more of the burden of childcare and caregiving for others and household responsibilities. Um, and they also have reproductive challenges. Like some women have mood changes around their menstrual cycle, or they might have issues while they're pregnant or just gave birth or entering the menopause. All of those very viable and sometimes not thought of upfront concerns. So for now, either one of you, what other mental health resources specifically for women veterans? Are there others within the VA? Oh, absolutely. There are many. Uh, let me start with two. Broadly, the VA is it's the largest integrated healthcare system in the U.S. And, and so with that much bandwidth, I think it allows us to provide a full continuum of services for all veterans, including women. Many of our of our medical centers and our clinics offer women-only services and specialty services in, in issues that are just more common among women, uh, for example, military sexual trauma and uh, eating disorders. But then I also want to talk about some of our newer resources. So today, every VA medical center has at least one women's mental health champion. And a women's mental health champion is someone who's had advanced training in women's mental health. They have a, a, a clear, specific professional interest in working with women. And their role is to help to grow women's mental health at their local VA so they can be responsive to local needs and priorities. And they are, they are a local point of contact for resources related to, to women's mental health. Dr. Miller, do you want to add anything? Um, sure. We were just talking a minute ago about the reproductive needs of women veterans, and VA has a reproductive mental health consultation program. Um, this is a national team of experts who's available to any clinician in the VA across the country if a woman veteran that they're working with has some kind of issue related to menstruation or birth control or pregnancy or menopause or breast cancer, anything that has to do with her reproductive functioning and her mental health. And these experts provide very prompt consultation to help out that veteran. Both of you talking about the fact that, again, women are built differently than men, but yet they are still undergoing the same physical challenges that men in the military have to face boot camp and different things in order to keep themselves strong. But that in also can turn around and perhaps I know many women lift weights. Is that one of the areas, too, that can also cause a concern is that maybe I'm not keeping up with them? You know, that it's a really interesting angle. I can't speak to uh, the impact of a physical exercise per se or the physical impact but you're bringing up a really a really good point and that is that broadly the culture within the military you know it is to be physically strong and and mentally emotionally strong and it's something that we see particularly in our women veterans where while they're in the military they, they really they're, they're they're the gender minority and there there's often this pressure they put on themselves to, to keep a stiff upper lip and to you know, not let anybody see you sweat emotionally anyway, uh, just to put on a very strong face. And so relative to maybe women who are not in the military, 
that that culture tends to be to, to kind of hold things inside, which which we know can you know is often not 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 the right thing to do. That that connecting and, and accepting help um, and, and just recognizing that when one is struggling a bit, those are all. I would think they take more bravery than than, than the opposite. But that's something with our women veterans in particular that just seems to be part of the culture, and it's a way that they're different. Um, on average, from from non-veteran women. And Dr. Miller, would that then go into physical health as well as mental health issues? It does. It's actually been found um, that among women veterans, there's a very strong connection between mental health and physical health. And um, those who suffer from something like depression or post-traumatic stress disorder tend to also suffer from lots of chronic pain syndromes um, and other issues. The other flip side, though, is that all that strength is really there as a wellspring of resilience, both mentally and physically. Women veterans are a really strong bunch. So using a strength-based approach and tapping into those strengths and helping people reconnect with their strengths when they're challenged by stress can be part of the road to recovery. And MakeTheConnection.net has a lot of ideas along those lines about how women veterans can tap into their resilience. Jeff Hall with the DAV has information on connecting veterans and transitioning military with meaningful employment. The struggle throughout the employment search for a lot of veterans is making that initial contact with companies where to go, who's hiring, uh, a lot of those things that you would traditionally think that that is a struggle for them of anybody searching for employment. On the opposite side, you have companies who are also struggling perhaps to find veterans in certain ways. They do recognize a lot of progress has been made in this particular realm for companies where, uh, you know, for years and years, it, it really was looked at as, why would we look at hiring veterans, so on and so forth? To where we are now, which is they know that the veterans, that you know, that the veteran community, the men and women serve, that serve possess the talent and skills, dependability, soft skills, uh, loyalty, all of those things that make their, you know, that would be a great addition to any company's team. So they do recognize that, again, the real, I guess, conundrum is just getting them in the room together so that they can uh, get up on the best opportunity that they can. And through the DAV, which I know we have some very active offices in Pennsylvania here, especially in the Northeast, how can veterans get more information by going to some of the things such as the DAV, Jeff, hosts virtual career fairs? Correct. Prior to the pandemic, we were running full tilt on our on our career fairs. We did have some that were virtual, but out of our schedule of 140 career fairs every year that we host, 125 of them were in person. You know, that includes Philadelphia and Pennsylvania there in that particular area, Cleveland, across the way, uh, but across the country. And our virtual career fairs, you know, we, we were doing a lot of them that were regional or nationwide. So regardless of where a person's physical location uh, is, they may be wanting to move or relocate to a different region of the country, or they're still serving on active duty, but going to transition once they return from their overseas assignment uh, as an example. So our virtual career fairs are a nice complement to that whole schedule. Uh, Prior to the pandemic, you know, we, we had hosted so many career fairs around the country And as I said, some virtual in March of 2020 due to the pandemic, we had to do a quick pivot. 
from physical or in-person career fairs to a full schedule of virtual career fairs. So we ended up the year not producing as many career fairs because we had that huge disruption into the space. But we ended up with about 92 career fairs. Uh, More than 30,000 people did attend. Several thousand companies attended and participated. And more than 6,000 jobs were offered to those that had attended. So it's on the right track. It's still there, still providing that continuity of service and connection between veterans and, and employers that are looking for them. And one of the things maybe we should point out at this point as well is that, as you mentioned, it's uh, a lot of veterans are transitioning, but there are veterans that are out there who have been out of their service for maybe a few years, but you along with the DAV, are still working with them. So it's not like there's any kind of a time span that you're looking at. It's no matter if you're a veteran, you're a veteran, and it doesn't matter when, correct? That is absolutely correct, and I'm glad you brought that up because the majority of our uh, of our attendees at our career fairs are people that have been out of the military for a while or a family member, spouse of, of a veteran uh, that's been out for a while. So... Um, it isn't only or certainly exclusive. Uh, you're going to have certain events that do get more men and women, you know, that are still in uniform, still serving, uh, where we host those on military bases if they're in person or virtual. We just did an event for Fort Bragg area veterans and their, and their families last week. We're doing a Camp Pendleton area veteran, uh, you know, for active duty, guard, reserve, veterans and their spouses. But yes, most of those individuals in, to complement that or to go with that, it isn't just that veterans or you know that have been out for a while are seeking those opportunities. What you really have is not that many. I don't want to say not that many and you know qualify it in that way or quantify it, but the majority of those veterans that come to our career fairs are not unemployed. They have jobs, but they're looking for better jobs, more meaningful work, or better career-oriented type situation. So the underemployment is a much different situation than unemployment. It's still, you know, you're always going to have people looking, and veterans are very good at finding what will work for them while they can keep work, you know, while they can keep looking and searching uh, for their next best opportunity. And again, as we mentioned in the very beginning, as far as the whole idea of veterans looking for work, sometimes their work is very specialized and Again, through the DAV and through organizations such as that, you can also help veterans pinpoint where their skills are best being able to use, even through something like resume writing, which maybe someone in another area might not understand exactly what they've done in order to put them in perspective. Yeah, that's that's right. And it's a great point. We do offer some resume tips that are on our website. We're looking to try to improve upon that as we move forward, certainly because one of the number one thing that we see for those individuals coming to a career fair. Now, I will also mention, it's worth mentioning, you know, at an in-person career fair, they walk in with copies of their resume or they have a thumb drive that has the digital copy and they, you know, they share it with employers in that particular way. Virtual is done in the same way. And that's a question that we get all the time. When you register for one of our career fairs, it's going to ask you to upload your resume. Now, this works particularly well, you know, certainly in the virtual space, because when you enter my booth, as an example, 
Uh, I'm going to click on your name and your resume is there. I click on it. I can read your resume without the first bit of interaction, but it is an icebreaker. It is what companies are doing. When you come to a physical job fair, you wait in line to talk to somebody and then you hand them your, you know, your resume is usually how that works. But what we often find is very underprepared resumes. Now, we're not suggesting that people go out and spend, you know, an astronomical amount of money to get a resume. But there are a lot of resources, online resources and things like that, that are available to where you can put together a very solid resume because it is a very key thing. And we do know and understand that there are companies that rely heavily on a resume where some other types of industries do not, you know, but almost all look at the resume. So make sure your resume is in shape. We have those online tips at jobs.dav.org. And that was going to be my next question. With all this great information that you have available, give us the address, how people can get in touch with you. And hopefully, fingers crossed, we're going to have a lot of a lot of veterans getting employed. Whether you're a veteran or a spouse of a veteran and you're seeking your next best opportunity uh, or you're a company looking to find the talents uh, that veterans possess, uh, making that connection you know, whether you're a veteran or an employer, go to jobs.dav.org. You'll find our host of online tools and resources, uh, including our job search board if you're a veteran, those tips I mentioned earlier. But also for an, a company, you will find a lot of resources that we have available, specifically our DAV guide to hiring and retaining veterans with disabilities. Again, that can all be found at jobs.dav.org. Next on Special Edition, Pennsylvania Physician General Dr. Denise Johnson on COVID-19 vaccine, especially those 12 to 15. Now on Special Edition, Odyssey's Nancy Kamen and Jason Barsky with an interview they did about COVID-19 and the vaccine for those 12 to 15. We're happy to have Dr. Denise Johnson, Pennsylvania's Physician General, with us to discuss the COVID-19 vaccine. Thanks for being with us, Dr. Johnson. My pleasure. Let's talk a little bit about vaccine hesitancy, which uh, a common question that we get is, why would I get a vaccine if I'm at low risk for serious issues from COVID? Now, seeing that the FDA has okayed the Pfizer vaccine for kids age 12 to 15, how do you answer a question like that? These are people least likely to have serious problems from COVID. So why should they get vaccinated? Well, that's a great question. I think that um, there is concern that the People who don't have risks uh, don't see the urgency to get vaccinated. But having people who are not vaccinated does affect all of us. So having people who aren't vaccinated leaves a reservoir for the uh, virus to continue to multiply and mutate. And so we have more variants emerging. Um, As these variants emerge, um, we are concerned that we are going to get variants that are not as... um, Uh, responsive to uh, the treatments that we have for COVID, as well as to the vaccine. So having more people vaccinated, there's less chance of these variants emerging and affecting and undermining all of the great things that we're doing. Let's talk about the side effects. Kids uh, getting this vaccine, it concerned them what kind of side effects they might have. Sure. Well, with the Pfizer approval um, that you just referenced, um, they did look at side effects for the kids. And so the kids were having the same sort of side effects that we've heard from uh, adults. So the soreness of the arm, 
Some have uh, fevers, um, some have some uh, achiness as well. Uh, these things are just transient and they do go away. When they looked at the kids within the studies, um, I think they had a little bit more fever than the adults, but that's pretty typical with kids with vaccines, but didn't see any more severe or different side effects than the adults. And as you know, we've had um, 100 million people who have received vaccines. What about other vaccines? Because I'm also hearing from parents whose kids you know, are just getting their regular vaccines what is the um, recommendation between a COVID-19 vaccine and another routine vaccine a, a young person may get? So for right now, the recommendation is uh, there shouldn't be another vaccine within two weeks of the COVID vaccine. Um, again, just because uh, we haven't had experience where we're combining it, we know that when kids get vaccines, they can get several of them together at the same time. But right now, the recommendation is to wait two weeks after getting another vaccine before you get your COVID vaccine and vice versa. All right. So another thing we hear a lot from our listeners is they, they say they're not comfortable with the fact that this vaccine is emergency use authorization. Their concern is that it seems rushed and that there hasn't been adequate time to know if there's actually going to be serious you know, issues down the line. When you hear things like that, what is the response you have? Well, a few responses. Um, the first one is in terms of uh, the trials that the, these vaccines underwent, it's the same as the trials that we do for anything. So they have the three phases of clinical trials. In the trial for the vaccines, um, specifically for Pfizer and Moderna, um, they had 40,000 people um, that uh, they tested these with, which is much larger than we normally do for anything that we've had. Um, the reason for the emergency use authorization is we're in a pandemic right now and we need to get people vaccinated. Usually for the full approval, um, they continue with uh, getting six months worth of uh, uh, data after uh, proving that the vaccines are safe and effective. Pfizer has already submitted for the full authorization, so they're working through that process now. But the reason for cutting through the red tape um, in terms of a approval um, is to get these out there um, while we're in the middle of a pandemic and we really need to have some tools in there to get us past it. In response to that, though, people will say, well, we don't know. There's no way to know for sure. There's absolutely no way to know for sure that in 5, 10, 15 years, bad things aren't going to happen. Is it impossible to know? Sure. I mean, we don't, we can't know about 15 years um, down the line, but what we do know is that when you receive these vaccines, um, you get the vaccine and your body makes an immune response. The vaccine is then gone from you. You don't have um, any vaccine components re remaining in you to cause other um, effects that are going on. What we also know is that some people, even with mild COVID, do have what they call uh, long-term COVID. And so um, these are evident in uh, older people, but even in younger people, we have seen um, uh, heart issues later on, um, problems with memory and uh, um, uh, sometimes with uh, other symptoms that they may have long-term. And so 
we know that COVID has uh, long-term symptoms um, and side effects for some people. Um, so those are things that we absolutely know. We know that there's nothing left in you after the vaccine uh, stimulates your immune system. And so um, the benefits, um, uh, I think we all feel, way out um, way the um, possible risk, especially knowing that that vaccine is gone from your system in a short period of time. Now, if I had COVID-19 or someone does, how long should the wait be until they get this vaccine? I guess there have been some uh, some confusion over that. So um, once you've recovered from COVID and you're no longer in the infectious stage, you could get the vaccine right away. And it's recommended because we know with the vaccine you have a good, reliable immune response that um, seems to be at least, least uh, this far um, pretty long-lasting. So we definitely recommend that. Now, if you had COVID and you had to have some of the treatments like the convalescent plasma or the monoclonal antibody therapy, we recommend that you wait 90 days before you get the vaccine. And that's because um, those treatments uh, give you antibodies uh, to clear that um, COVID virus. And so those will be circulating in you for a while. And so we're not sure how well you'll mount an immune response when you have those therapies in place. So uh, um, as long as you didn't get one of those therapies, as soon as you're recovered and no longer infectious, it's recommended that you get the vaccine. We have heard from people who are hesitant, who had COVID, who say, I have a natural immunity because I had COVID that I don't need the vaccine. How would you respond to that? Again, with the natural immunity, we have um, looked at the antibody titers for people who had uh, natural COVID as well as those who've had the vaccine. So the vaccine um, produces a higher level of immunity. Um, we know that um, there are some cases of people who have had COVID and have been reinfected. Those um, numbers are small, but we know that the vaccine gives you a reliable high titer of um, uh, antibodies and that um, uh, should uh, give you more protection. And then of course we are concerned about um, uh, the variants that uh, are um, circulating and, you know, again, getting more people vaccinated as soon as we can uh, should decrease the emergence of those variants. We are talking with Pennsylvania Physician General Dr. Denise Johnson. Uh, Dr. Johnson, states have been significantly reducing the amount of the vaccine. So for the people who have been putting it off, my question is, is it going to get harder to get it eventually? Well, no, I don't think that's going to be an issue because I think that most states now are changing their strategies. Once we had um, the high throughput vaccination clinics to get as many people vaccinated as quickly as we can. Now that we see that um, we've uh, satisfied a lot of that demand, most states are taking vaccine closer to people. So uh, more uh, primary care physicians and um, uh independent pharmacies in your communities are also looking at some unusual places and some have uh, done vaccinations in malls and other areas, certainly reached out to people who are homebound or in um, uh, other living situations to make sure that the vaccine then is more convenient. So we're taking vaccine out in smaller quantities uh, to get them closer to people so that um, Uh, we are reaching people who are not able to get to those large uh, vaccination clinics. 
some of these questions came from listeners who've texted in multiple times, but people say, what happened to the flu? The flu numbers are way down this year and COVID keeps spreading. What is the reason? Is, is it proof that masks work or masks don't work? Well, I think that um, it shows that the, the strategies that we've taken to uh, avoid this infectious uh, virus are the same sort of strategies that work for the flu. So people have been uh, doing a lot more hand hygiene than they were. Um, they are masking. Um, they are socially distancing. We always knew that those sort of um, uh, measures would help uh, to decrease the flu, but those are not things that we have done on a large scale before. Um, we also know that COVID is um, highly infectious. And I think during the pandemic, we learned a lot more about COVID, but um, I think uh, we didn't appreciate early on um, how much it spreads uh, um, airborne and how much being in an in indoor um, place that doesn't have much ventilation really can contribute to the spread of COVID. Um, so we have a very infectious uh, virus here, um, and so that uh, taking some of these measures really have decreased the flu, but, um, you know, again, uh, COVID has has been a challenge, but I I know for sure that the measures that we've taken, masking, uh, social distancing, have lessened the impact that we could have had with COVID if we didn't have any of those things in place. We are talking with Pennsylvania Physician General Dr. Denise Johnson. This is a big question that we get, especially now with the 12 to 15, even 16 to 18-year-olds. Uh, for women of childbearing age, there are allegations the COVID vaccine could mess up the menstrual cycle. There are even some who say it can make you infertile. Can you, can you address that? Absolutely. So first of all, all of the um, COVID vaccines that are available here in the United States do not have any COVID. And so um, you cannot, you don't have any, um, uh, you can't get COVID or you can't spread COVID um, from the vaccine. So that's, um, you know, that's certainly one point. Um, the other point is in terms of messing up your menstrual period. Um, any woman knows that any stress on your body um, can affect your period. So mounting an immune response, whether to this vaccine or something else, very common to have an irregular cycle um, that does not affect your fertility in any way. And um, by the way, I'm an OBGYN physician, so this is very <laughs> dear to my heart. Um, the other thing is in terms of um, uh, uh, fertility. Um, the American Society for Reproductive Medicine, as well as the American Society for um, Obstetricians and Gynecologists, and the um, Society for Maternal Fetal Medicine, all recommend um, vaccine for pregnant women and women who um, may become pregnant. As I said before, um, there is nothing of the vaccine that's left in your system. It stimulates your immune response, but then there's no vaccine remnant that's left in there to, to affect you going forward. So um, all of these societies feel very strongly that pregnant women should be afforded the vaccine. Um, you know, we want to have everyone uh, protected, and um, pregnancy is certainly a vulnerable time. Now, I want to ask a couple quick ones here. Rapid fire, I guess. These are things we hear conspiracy theory-esque stuff. Uh, will the vaccine change people's DNA? No. Um, that's the, uh, the short answer. Absolutely not. Um, again, um, as I said, it stimulates your immune response, but there's not something in there that's going to be affecting your DNA. Okay. I'm sorry I'm asking this one, but will they put a chip in you? <laughs> yes. 
<laughs> they absolutely will not put a chip in you. There's no chip uh, in this uh, vaccine, and um, so no. And I think that you know people are concerned about being tracking, but. I think all of us carry around a tracking device all the time. Our phone has more information on us than uh, anything else could. So, um, no, there's not a chip in there. All right. This would, I guess, is going to require a slightly longer answer. Okay, we hear criticisms. Often the word lying gets thrown into this about the CDC or Dr. Fauci, some of their advice. They say it's changed. They can't keep their story straight over the course of this pandemic. Should the changing answers and changing recommendations make us question what they recommend? Absolutely not. Um, all of us know that, um, you know, this was called a novel coronavirus, so that, um, you know, when we first heard about it, um, there's so much information that we didn't know. We've got scientists uh, throughout the United States and all across the world who have been working on this diligently um, uh, for over a year. And um, as we get more information, there's more things that we find out that we didn't know before. Um, you know, as I mentioned before, we did not know um, uh, how much this was spread um, airborne. Um, we did not know uh, that the mass actually decreased, um, especially for asymptomatic people, um, the amount of virus that you're shedding and therefore how much virus is, is um, you know, spreading to infect other people. So this has been an evolving process, and so that uh, I think that people should realize that, you know, in the beginning, last year, this time, you know, there's so much that we didn't know, but as we get more information, then we should be changing. And uh, I think you should be very suspect of um, people who have limited information, and that doesn't change, um, their perspective doesn't change when they get more information. So, yes, this has been an evolving process um, for all of us, and we have learned more things, and we've learned things that, um, you know, that we thought were so that uh, turned out to not be as important. So, you know, this is, is normal for something that's new. Uh, as you incorporate new information, then you may have to change your tactics. All right. Uh, for those who do get the vaccine, what are the chances that you still could get COVID and can you spread it? You know, again, I think a lot of that is evolving. But I think that a couple of weeks ago of the, um, you know, uh, 100 million people who have gotten um, uh, vaccines. Uh, I think it was estimated uh, a little over 9,000 um, had uh, um, been positive for COVID. Now, um, I'm sure that uh, that's undercounting a little bit because some people may get COVID and not have any symptoms and so not notice at all. Um, what we do know is that um, this uh, vaccine, these vaccines in terms of their effectiveness has been tremendous um, compared to anything that we've ever had in terms of safety. You know, again, knowing that, you know, 100 million people have gotten these vaccines, you know, the safety profile, again, compared to anything that we've ever had in the past is, is, is phenomenal. So, um, yes, um, there are going to be some cases of COVID. Yes, there will be some hospitalizations. But if you look at 9,000 cases um, and, uh, you know, the cases of um, hospitalizations, even less, out of 100 million, um, you know, that's a, an outstanding safety profile. And when they do, if they do contract it, it's obviously uh, the illness is uh, much, much uh, less severe in most cases. 
It is um, much less severe, um, much less uh, hospitalizations and ICU, and um, you know, ultimately death um, would be what we're concerned about. But again, we know that um, having these vaccines, even recently, we've seen that you know, um, the over age 65, a lot of those people have been vaccinated, and so the new cases that we're seeing of COVID are in younger people and children. Um, and so that those are the ones who hadn't been vaccinated um, to that level to this point. So we can see in real world examples that the vaccine is working. Final question here, and this is more, did we miss anything? Is there anything we didn't ask that you really want to bring up because maybe you're sick of answering it or you just, you know, people need to know this information? Well, I think people need to know that the vaccines are very, very safe and compared to anything, even things that we do that are non-vaccine and medications that we take, these are extremely safe. We know that they're extremely effective. And even in the studies that they did with, um, uh, with the kids to get their approval for Pfizer, the kids who got the vaccine, none of them got COVID. Um, the ones that uh, were in the other arm of the study, um, uh, they had cases of COVID. So, you know, their conclusion is that this is highly, highly effective um, in the uh, kids age group and, of course, in the adults as well. So it's safe um, and it's effective. And getting more people vaccinated is going to get us back to where we um, close to where we were. So we'll be able to see friends, we'll be able to do things, we'll be able to be in groups of people. And if we have enough people vaccinated, even in groups of people who, um, for some reason, are not able to get vaccinated, um, we'll still be able to feel safe. So um, the vaccine does protect you, each individual, and the people that are close around you, but it, uh, it protects other people as well. So. You know, I would say that, um, again, these are safe, they're effective, and um, we've got real-world experience with hundreds of millions of um, uh, people who've gotten this vaccine or these vaccines, and um, it really can get our lives back, and I know that we're all ready for that. Thanks for listening to Special Edition, a weekly look at the issues in the news and the personalities shaping the stories. 